This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. And welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And yet again, it's your girls. We're back with another episode about film. How are you? How are you? Oh my God, how are you? I'm okay. I, uh, I just spent my first night in my house. Yes. And none of my stuff is here. It'll take about a week for my stuff to get here. So I have an air mattress that I mailed myself and some pillows. And um, let me tell you, that first night was was a doozy. Ooh, okay. Because let, let's just say this too. You're in a new time zone. So that, can, you know, uh, will affect the biorhythms. And you're in a new house. No furniture. I was exhausted when I got here and I knew that was part of what happened last night. Like I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, but carrot, let me just give the first update is that yes. carrot is fine. He is already stomping around this place. Like he's <laughs> lived here his whole freaking life. And oh. for a New York city trash cat, who's only lived in like confinement and small spaces, <laughs> he's doing great. <laughs> he's doing great. Um, I am not, I was not, he was doing much better than I was last night. Let's just say. So I get here and it was late when I got here, like it was already nighttime and, you know, I brought all my boxes and luggage inside and my house had kind of, it sat empty for like three months, basically. So the mm-hmm. owners, the previous owners moved out about three months ago and then, it, you know, it took some time for me to close and, and then I moved in. So it was clean. Like they cleaned it. But I live in the country, so there were bugs everywhere. It was like everywhere. Every single toilet was like taken over by daddy long legs. I didn't want to pee. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. I had a real cricket inside my house. Oh, my gosh. Like I heard the crickets outside and I'm like, oh, how lovely. Then I heard one inside and I was like, fuck this shit. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't find it. Yeah. Raid. Could not find it. Um, But when I walked in, the oven was beeping. And it had this message on it that just said F7, F7, F7. And I was like, I've never seen that on anything that wasn't a computer. Right. So I didn't know what to do. So I was pressing buttons, trying to turn it off. It w- The sound went off. And then 15 minutes later, it started beeping again. Oh, and it no. did that for like an hour straight. <gasps> so finally, I called my friend Sarah, who lives down the road. And I was like, um, I just got here. I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. I have to blow up my bed. And there's this beeping in my house. I said, I think I'm just going to sleep outside on the porch and maybe tomorrow I'll just burn this house to the ground. <laughs> like I was so tired. <laughs> oh no. I'm like maybe I'll just burn it down to the ground. I don't know. And she came over cause she's a fucking champion. Yeah. So Sarah Jackson, you're a hero for many. She, she will show up again in this, in this, in this story. Yeah. Um, and I was also terrified because I, and I have not revealed this detail yet uh, to our listeners. 
But this is a five bedroom house. It is a big old house. Wow. And so I was convinced, I just convinced myself that somebody was in here with me and that I was going to be murdered in my sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, so when Sarah came over, she helped me find the fuse box. So we turned that, we just turned the oven off. Like I just flicked all the switches and turned the oven off. Yeah. Then I'm like, you have to walk through this house with me because I'm going to get killed. And she's like, there's nobody in here with you. And the funniest part for me was I said, I'm like, oh, there's just like bugs and dust everywhere. And she looked at me deadpan, not like just totally straight faced and said, you live in the woods. Like, get ready, bitch. This is your life now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you do not live in the middle of L.A. anymore. You live in the fucking woods. And so... (laughs) So I had her go around with me and we went and checked literally every room, every closet. Like I am a freak. I was I felt like such a freak, but I was so scared. I'm so happy that Sarah's in your life to not be your Charles Boyer character from Gaslight. She's not like, oh, I don't know. It looks like you're fucking crazy, girl. (laughs) They have an oven noise. You know, she was she was with you on the same page with you to figure this out. So she was like, let's put our keys in between our knuckles and go walk around this fucking house. And so what a we friend. did. And we walked around and I was like, OK, I'm cool. I'm cool. And it was around like eight o'clock when she left, you know, and I was, she's like, you know what you just need. She's a producer, by the way. She's like she does. Um, she's a creative director, a director of commercials, and she's been a producer for years. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you just need to, like, produce this, like just one step at a time, one day at a time. She's like, what do you need to be, feel comfortable tonight? And I was like, I need like just little things like Clorox wipes. And she's like, go to Target. They close at 10. You can get there 20 minutes. There's the, front, the nearest Target is 30 minutes away. So she's like, you'll have time to get there and go around. So I did. So I left when she left. And when I tell you that I did the biggest supermarket sweep of Target of all time, <laughs> I was like, I grabbed everything. I'm like, Clorox wipes. Uh, a lamp. Um, yeah, I need some booty shorts. Um, I bought a t-shirt that says, that just says best grandpa ever on it. No reason. No reason. Just supermarket sweeping it around the fucking Target. Light bulbs. Like my cart was a goddamn mess. I bought a jug of water. I just like got some little things. I bought a Bluetooth speaker. I don't need one, but I bought one. I'm like, I need some sounds in here and like let people know I'm here. Who? What people? I live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And so, because you know what I'm envisioning? I'm envisioning that scene from The Prince of Tides where like some fucking creep. All it takes is one escaped criminal. Exactly. Exactly. Just one. And my life is ruined. So that's what I'm in. That's what I have in my head. So I went to Target, came back. It was like 10 o'clock. I bought a stand up fan um, and I set everything up. And then I just started crying. I just started crying. My brother called and he was like, hey, like you got in. I hadn't heard from you in a couple hours, making sure you're OK. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just a 44 year old woman who does what anyone does. Any 44 year old woman does when she's in a house by herself for the first time. I called my big brother and he heard me crying and he was just like, I'm coming over. And I was like, don't come over. It was raining. It was like a nice thunderstorm last night, which I really miss. I was excited for it. But he's like, I'm coming over. I don't give a shit about the rain. Like, you're upset. I'll be there in a second. (laughs) So, and he lives 30 minutes away. (laughs) But he did. And I was freaking out because I was trying to go to sleep, but I have no curtains. I have no curtains. So I just felt so exposed. 
And he came over with some old bed sheets and he's like, let's just hang these in the window. And I was just like weeping. I was like, I, I don't know why I did this. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But he helped calm me down. He asked me if I needed anything. And I'm like, nope. He's like, I can stay here. I, I can stay until you go to sleep. And I'm like, you can't because I have one key and then you can't lock the door behind you. And then I'll just wake up again and feel like I'm going to get murdered. He's like, it's cool. Like, I'll, let's walk through the house again. Now that it's like dark out, like let's walk through the house again. So we're walking through the house, walk through upstairs. He figured out how to turn on the ceiling fans in the great room on the second floor. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't figure that out. And it was boiling hot upstairs. So that cooled it down, which was nice. Then we went out and he was just checking all the doors. He's like, oh, it's out here. And I'm like, that's the garage. And he's like, well, let's definitely check the garage. Flip on the light, open the door. A bird or a bat could have been either one. I don't know. But I'm looking through the screen door into the garage and there's a fucking bird doing fucking loop de loops out there. Oh my God. And I was like, shut it down. Close. He's like, we can just go open the door and let it out. And I'm like, nope, it got in. It'll get out. Fuck this bird. I'm going to bed. This mom spaghetti crested will f figure Ma out how to get out of this, this fucking house. This golden Mackay Piper <laughs> knows what's up. <laughs> I will let it out in the daylight hours. But I was like, close it. Because I thought, I'm like, I'm not looking at it close enough. It could be a bat. Like, bats are everywhere here. Oh, like, yeah, let's not get sure. rabies tonight. Yeah. So I'm like, let's just close the door. Pretend that's not there. Um, and he did. He closed it. He was laughing at me so hard. Because I'm like, let's just close it down. He found the cricket. Yeah. He found the cricket. Let it out. Good. Like, he captured it in a little napkin. And then I got to go to sleep. But I was fucking exhausted. I had no internet. I had, I had power, but I have no internet. <laughs> I had nothing. And I was just like, every, every corner I look in, I'm like, something needs to be done. This is overwhelming. But the funniest part of the day was I was getting ready to go to bed and Carrot kind of hopped up on the air mattress with me. And every time I looked at him yesterday, his face was covered in dust. Like he would just go <laughs> and look in corners and he had like dust hanging from his whiskers. Like he does not give a fuck. So he made me laugh a lot yesterday. But yeah, I got through the night and I woke up and it was all like, you know, spring breezes and crickets and birds chirping. I got to meet my gopher. I have a gopher the size of a small dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He lives on the property. I've decided to name him Chauncey. I was sitting out. Uh, <laughs> Chauncey. <laughs> I'm trying to get a picture of him, but I was sitting out on the porch and he came around the corner from the barn and just kind of stopped and looked at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> like and there haven't been people here in a while. So he's just been freewheeling it. Yeah, exactly. And he looked at me and then he just kind of turned around and, and went back and I'm like, hey, Chauncey, what's up? We are going to have to get to be friends. But it's it's been nice. Like today was nice. I have in internet hooked up. Um, they came this afternoon and I feel like it's okay. Of course. I mean, listen, the first night, literally anywhere, if you move across yeah. town, if you move across the country, the first night of, of any new place is going to be jarring. But then on top of that, it's like a complete and total shift from the way you lived your life before, which is that you lived in a very densely populated area on literally on top of people. Right. Yeah. And now you're like, you know, in this big area, I, I wouldn't blame you if you had some. What is it? Agoraphobia? Is that the fear of? Yeah. Outdoors. Going outside. Yeah. yeah. 
And in the woods, which, by the way, that was a big thing for me, too. Like when I come to my parents' house, you know, my parents, they don't live in the country country, but it's kind of a it's more it's a more rural area. Um, You know, they're they're literally at night. There is no noise. And so when you come from especially like places where we live, like Silver Lake and West Hollywood, where I lived across the street from a fucking um, fire station. <laughs> like the fact, the idea that there is nothing like that there's no noise is so jarring. And when I would like go outside to take the dog out, like when I was first, when I first got here, I was like freaked the fuck out. And I mean, of course your mind goes to like serial killer ghost, you know, killer cricket, killer bird. I mean, I mean, that barn, that barn is haunted. I'm definitely finding bones in there. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to get, I mean, you got to take some of that woo-woo from California, put it back into the house. You need to, like, sage it, do some crystal work. You got to get somebody in there to, like, you know, get the spirits out. You never know. Hereditary. We, we've seen what can happen. <laughs> what I need is a book in a language I don't understand. <laughs> and and Dowd. <laughs> If anyone knows Ann Dowd, can you send her to my house immediately (laughs) with a candle? My favorite part of the story, though, is this idea that Carrot was basically this like Larry David-esque cat that was living in L.A. (laughs) for the past like five years and fucking hated it. And now that he's back in New York, he's like, yes, I'm back, baby. I'm back. Like completely. (laughs) He tried to go out on the porch, which is screened in. So he could technically go out there. But I'm like, you have to go to the vet first because I don't know what bugs are going to hop on you. And I don't even know if I told this story yet about my vet before I left. Mm -mm, I don't think so. I found out that my vet was an anti-vaxxer, basically. She's what? an anti-vaxxer for, for pets. Wow. Really? Because I, yeah, because I went to buy a ticket, a plane ticket, and, you know, you, you have to add your pet. And I was reading through all the restrictions and the rules since, you know, I didn't know if anything had changed because of COVID and I hadn't flown in a long time. And the airline that I chose was like, you know, even if they're flying in the cabin with you, they have to have all their vaccinations up to date, rabies especially. So I sent my vet an email. And this is the same vet PS that she's she tried to get me she's she's very vegan and very like healthy and she tried to get me to put carrot on a yams diet Mm. she's like he shouldn't be eating meat he should be eating like yams and carrots and carrot took one look at me and he's like (laughs) if you put if you put a yam in front of my face i am calling the aspca (laughs) like wait wait so she's just like why doesn't he just eat the food that he's named after Instead of eating like cat food, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Is that yeah, really she, a thing? Yeah, she's like, he cats don't have to eat meat, and I'm like, I think biology and evolution has something to say about that. I think they're supposed <laughs> to only eat meat, right? <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Get, no, like protein heavy diets, and she's like, you can get protein in so many ways, and I'm like, if I wouldn't do it for myself, I'm not forcing that on my cat. He doesn't have any say in this. And he seriously, when she looked, he she said that, and he looked at me like, huh. Oh my and I'm God. like, trust me, buddy. We're good. We're not doing it. But so this is that same vet. So I sent her an email and I'm like, hey, I'm flying with Carrot in two weeks. Um, would you mind just kind of sending me his record so I have everything handy? And she was like, yeah, no problem. They usually require vaccinations before you fly, though. And I, and I said, no, you know, they, they kind of want they, they want him to have been vaccinated within 30 days of flying. He just saw her for his fucking IV drip in like February. <laughs> <laughs> Vanderpump like, Rules drip. 
<laughs> for his dehydration fucking trip. And he had his annual checkup the month before that. So I'm like, he'll be good. Like he's had his, he's had everything he needs this year. And then she wrote back and said, well, I haven't, since he's an indoor cat and he's healthy, I haven't been giving him his rabies vaccination. And she listed like two other things. And I'm like, she's like, but I can come over and do it on Monday. And I'm like, no, because it has to have been within 30 days. Like if it's not within 30 days or more of flying, he can't get on the plane with me. So even if you do it Monday, it's not going to work. Right. And she was like, that's OK. You can just drive across country. Like You can just drive with him. What? And I'm like, I have got to get out of L.A. What is happening? <laughs> you can just completely alter your plans. Yes. Because I didn't do the thing that I was supposed to do. Yes. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You're an anti-vaxxer. You didn't tell me that. My cat's been walking around for three years with no fucking vaccine. <laughs> I mean, this is truly, it was truly one of the more LA experiences I'd had. And I was glad it happened on my way out. Cause I'm like, you're seriously telling me to feed my cat yams, not get him vaccinated and basically just make a sign of a cross or fucking chant over him to keep him safe. Like, I can't fly with a cat that I'm chanting over. He needs actual medication to get on airline. But she didn't even want you to get on airline. She wanted you yeah. to like be like, no, let me just cancel the ticket and just take eight days out of my life to drive yeah. my cat across the country. Also, it's like if I could have done that, I would have. He is so much better six hours in a plane than six days in a car. He hates traveling. Yeah. I know this about my cat. That's why I didn't drive him in the first place. I was freaking out. I was on the phone till like three o'clock in the morning. With and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, you're going to have to get fucking credit for this flight is what you're going to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you cannot bring this cat with you. But then I flew and they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, that's fine, girl. We don't care if he's church from Pet Cemetery. Bring Come him on. on. <laughs> Exactly. They're like, you could bring on ducks and parrots. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be on this fucking flight. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> we have an all parrot flight, actually. But they actually but they had a good point where they're like, if you have to keep them in their container the whole time. So as long as they're not visibly ill, like he could have rabies and still not like scratch anyone or bite anyone because he's in his container the whole time. Right, right. Fucking bold of this vet, this L.A. vet to have done that so only made your life more complicated which sucks so 100 percent. and i was and then i'm looking at him and i'm like we're going again we're moving to a place where i want you to be protected against rabies because if he gets out here he's going to be in the woods yeah exactly so the first thing i'm doing next week is taking him to the vet and be like shoot him up <laughs> he, he hasn't he hasn't had his vaccination since we left new york a few years ago okay apparently action items for you getting shots for carrot <laughs> Getting a dog, getting a granny shotgun, getting getting your attic saged by yes. um, a witch or warlock. Both. Your choice. And yeah, you're after a while, it's going to feel so good to be in this beautiful area of the world. You have an incredible house with so much room, so many bedrooms, so much land. I'm so jealous. And I'm also so happy for you because it is going to be great. You just got to get over this like scary, you know, a 24 yeah. movie, but eventually you will, you will be just fine. Thank you. I know I'm having, my brother is coming over with his, his partner. They're going to help me clean this weekend. 
do some get rid of all the daddy long legs around these toilets so I can pee in peace. I literally was like, should I go out in my own yard and piss? Like, I don't want to be in my own toilets because they're covered in spider. I got to tell you, I love this brother coming over and helping you out. It's very sweet. He's the best. It's making us love him even more than we already do. He's truly the best. And he checked in on me all day today. He's like, I just want to make sure you're cool. And one of his friends lives down the street and he's like, you can just call, you know, my friend, if you're if you're really struggling or if it's like late at night, you don't want me to come visit or whatever. He's like, just call him. He's right down the street. And I went to high school with that guy. So I know him, too. But yeah, um, yeah, he's a total sweetheart. And he he said something that that also made me cry on his way out. But I was crying for happy reasons instead of fear based reasons, um, because he just said, you're not alone anymore. You've got family here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I moved back. <laughs> I know. That's the whole thing. I think you need to put his name in that will. Give him (laughs) something. Give him this cricket house something. He deserves it. He's in the will. He's going to get bumped up. Yeah. I'm going to take 10% from one of the kids that I left money to because they haven't done anything yet. They haven't proven anything. They're just babies. I'm just going to take 10% and give it to him. Yeah. Karen now has an eyebrow raised. He's like, excuse me. Now he's back. Well, exactly. What is this? This is like an episode of like Knott's Landing or something. What is going on right now? (laughs) Sue Ellen again. (laughs) But he's back. He's in the will. He's 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 got carrot already. So I'm going to give him a raise and carrot. You know, he, he will benefit. Oh, man. Should any of the ghosts in this house decide to murder me? Well, it sounds very charming. I really hope there aren't any ghosts and I really hope there are not any murderers, but this is all very charming to me. So I'm I I think you've made a great decision and I'm so proud of you. So happy Aww. for you. Um, Thank you. And come stay. I want you to be like you could genuinely move in here and I'd never see you. <laughs> like just come, <laughs> just come visit and I'd be like, oh, you're still here. Cool. <laughs> Listen, you got a shed. I'll live in the shed. I'll put you out in the barn with Chauncey. You guys have a fucking blast. Sophie and Chauncey are the same size. <laughs> Chauncey and me, we can get along just fine. Okay. I'll, I will be your uh, footloose kid that comes in, has to live with the gopher. Yes. Like she came in, in from the city. big city. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cool with that. The first thing I am going to do here as a resident, though, is ban dancing. <laughs> do it. Get ready, kids. I'm banning dancing and rock and roll music. But not crumping because it's awesome. Apparently, when you ban dancing, you just know how to crump. <laughs> so it'll be to their benefit. They'll be better dancers than they ever were before. Yeah, exactly. No, this is such a good <laughs> move for you. Speaking of crumping, this is not a good segue. Oh, can I talk about our theme? Our theme? Of course, I would love to. <laughs> Tell them what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well. So let's get into this theme for this week. Now, a lot of people were kind of, you know, wondering what's the theme going to be called because they like the movies. Yeah. Can't say I blame them. But now they want to know what the theme actually is. Uh, There was a lot of good guesses, but there's only one, as you know. And for this week, our theme is called Looks Like a Pump, Feels Like a Sneaker. (laughs) Okay. All right. 80s kids know. 80s kids already know. Exactly. We're going to have to explain what this is because there's a lot of people who weren't around in the 80s to know what this even means. So why don't we just talk about that first and foremost? (laughs) Well, first and foremost, this is a phrase that comes directly from the jingle of an old Easy Spirit 
commercial. So there was an Easy Spirit commercial in the 80s where it showed the legs, not even the faces or torso, the legs of women in shorts playing basketball in high heels. And Easy Spirit maintained that their high heels felt so comfortable that it felt like a sneaker when you were wearing them. Looks like a pump. Feels like a sneaker. Looks like a That's right. And I think a lot of younger people on this that listen to this podcast wouldn't even know Easy Spirit because that's a brand that you grow into. Like yes. you're not wearing Easy Spirits until maybe your 30s, maybe. That's um, early, girl. You know, you know Easy Spirits were for the 50 plus set. That's true. But I gotta tell you, they started <laughs> like over the years, they were they have modernized a lot. So it's not yes outside of the realm of possibility that you might find a cute shoe and be like, Oh, it's an easy spirit shoe, which definitely means it's for late older ladies. It's orthopedic. <laughs> That's my jam. But I understand Completely. if you're like 24, you're like, I'm not rocking easy spirits. I'm too young. Okay. I need the arch support. Is what exactly. I'm I, I work Converse for too many years and I need the arch support. Exactly. I, I'm not going to front. I think I always wanted easy spirits. I think I was bust, <laughs> busted out of the womb wanting to wear comfortable shoes like this. But back in the eighties, it was this thing where like, you know, I mean, I think we're going to get into this a little bit more with the movies, but essentially, you know, there's a lot of women in the eighties that were kind of going into the workforce. Okay. And so that invariably meant that they were having to wear like high heels and, you know, sort of like business shoes, business attire and the vibe of the easy spirit commercial and the brand in the eighties was that they were making like ugly ass pumps for the business ladies. And guess what? You could wear it like all day. You could play basketball in them and it would be fucking great. And there was like a lot of, products that were being made for women around this time it's kind of like do you remember the 18 hour bra great curves deserve the 18 hour bra from playtex of course yes there was playtex playtex the 18 hour bra and it was basically like a bra that was comfortable enough for you could, so you could wear it like for 18 hours straight and never want to take it off which you know what i gotta say i haven't met a bra that i've never wanted to take off of me i don't care how comfortable a bra it is get it off my body as soon as possible <laughs> no joke even like those like bralettes that they have we've talked about oh, the bralette the scam, scam. <laughs> <laughs> jinx even that i'm like no this has got to go off at a certain point but like that was the thing was that they were trying to say like hey ladies we know you're you know, busy working, you know, power suits, you're coming home from the office, you're putting dinner on the table, or maybe you're like working and then, you know, changing in your office and going for a night on the town. So here's like a shoe that will do all these things. Here's a bra yeah. that will do all these things. You know, like you're commuting back and forth. So you exactly. don't want to get on the Staten Island ferry in your pumps. You want to get on in your sneakers so you can fight that crowd. Oh yeah. And I got lots to say about that. As you know, <laughs> But also, I think this theme for you and I, and I don't want to entirely speak for you, so pop it anytime you want if I get some of the details wrong. You know me. Go for it. <laughs> but, you know, as a child, you know, obviously I was like, you know, I, I sort of wanted to be older than I actually was. We know this. I've talked about it many times. And I was always fascinated with depictions of adult women. So when I when yes. I was growing up in the 80s, when I was a child, I was obsessed with like women's entertainment for like adult women. I watched a lot of Lifetime. Yep. 
Watch a lot, a lot of, of golden atti- girls. Watch a lot of attitudes with Linda mm-hmm. Dano. Oh. Um, lots of like, yeah, golden girls. So a lot of the the Dorothy cuts, the Blanche cuts of of jackets. You know, I was obsessed with kind of like any depiction of like a woman who was like on her own or working. Um, you know, just sort of like a, the the whole power lady of the eighties, and right. that's I think what we connected on. I think we were both kind of obsessed with the look of these yes. business ladies, right? And the effect of watching women go into the workforce at that point was important and cool to see. Yes. And it was kind of like a blueprint almost because, you know, before you, you you get your media literacy on, you just kind of accept the things that are given to you as that's the way it is. And it was kind of cool to see that like, oh... This is kind of the the day to night look or this is how women are navigating this space of being in these offices. It's almost like um, like, you know, teach, teach me how to be a woman, I think, was at one point a theme that we had tossed yes. around for this. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, it was very much like all of the little uh, nuances of adult women, you know, in the workforce. And it was exactly that. It was basically like the day to night look. So the mirror that changed the different settings that had like office daytime, you know, (laughs) whatever. And it was like those, those types of things, like anything that had to do with like hair products, perfume, Calgon, panty legs, pantyhose, you know, just sort of these like accoutrement of like what adult women had. And, you know, and I'm like a young person going like, Oh my God, I really want an easy spirit (laughs) pump and a taupe pantyhose. And then I want to come home from my job and get into a Calgon bath and eat a, eat a, a Stouffer's uh, French bread pizza yeah. <laughs> and drink crystal light. And only four calories a glass. She believes in crystal light. Cause I believe in me. I could talk about this all day. And it's just like, this, this is kind of like an obsession of mine. And I'm sure it was an obsession of yours too. Yeah. We just wanted to, we were like, let's pick two movies that sort of like best Explain what this is, this fascination. You know what I mean? And we picked a couple of movies. Let me tell you. <laughs> we picked the most shoulder pattiest of the hair sprayingest. <laughs> the products alone. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I, I literally have been waiting for weeks to talk about these two movies. When I watched them again, I was like overjoyed. It just. This is just going to be so, so fun. Good. Wasn't there also, there was a day to night. I had a day to night Barbie doll in the eighties, right around the time this stuff was, was happening too. Really? And she, she had a pink outfit and I remember it so vividly. It was a pink, like double breasted blazer with a white trim around the neck and a pink matching skirt and her little pink matching heels. And then you took off the jacket and she was wearing like a glitter camisole underneath and then you turn the skirt inside out and it was like a tool skirt and my grandma took one look at that doll and you know what she said i don't have to say it it was not (laughs) kind or politically correct but she said yeah that is a day-to-night look (laughs) for sure and i'm like i fucking love it i can't wait to have a reversible skirt and go out in these heels. Oh, I could go on for hours about like the dual function clothes. Like there was this yes. brand that I was obsessed with in the eighties called multiples. And it was basically this line of clothing where you would be sold these like 
separate pieces and the pieces could be like, oh, this could be either a tube top or a tank dress or a skirt, or you could put it over your neck as a scarf, (laughs) you know? Look, at this point, at this advanced age, if I can wear it as a scarf, it has no business being a skirt or a dress on this body. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate that that, that initiative of like, you could do all of these things. You could wear it as a wristband. You could wear it as a fucking tough cuff. Oh yeah. You could wear it as a head wrap, everything. It was insane. It was like this place in the mall and you know, it was, it was like these different pieces. I mean, they had this, basically this dress thing that I bought that could be a shirt or a dress or, you know, and I'm just like, Oh God, it it was all about like women are busy now because they have jobs. So let's like make everything like real convenient for them. Right. I also loved this is also a moment where things came built in. So it was like the the like it would look like you were wearing a sweater and a button down shirt, but it was just the the collar of the shirt sewn into the top of a sweater. Yes. I love that shit where they're like, <laughs> it looks like you're wearing a full ass outfit, but you know, you're only wearing one item of clothing. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a, a professional photograph of me right now where I'm wearing a little girl's dress that looks like it has a tie. So it's like a suit dress, but there's no tie. It stops like right here. It's just basically like, oh, look, she's wearing a tie and a collared shirt underneath this dress. But then it doesn't go further than the neckline. <laughs> I want to do a full gallery retrospective of your childhood photos because oh. you were fully a golden girl when you were eight years old and it is the best thing ever you have literally no idea i was like talking to my mom and like taking her to task about it the other day and i was like why did you dress me like an old lady she's just like what is the fashion and then i was like i look back at people other people's photos i'm like it kind of was the fashion right it was the fashion we all wanted to go to the boardroom it didn't matter um how old we were even if i was eight if i was eight years old i was ready for the boardroom um well, oh, good. let's um let's get into the movies, shall we? Yeah. What what's your movie for this theme? Oh my god. I don't even know. This is insane. I can't believe I'm finally talking about this movie on this podcast. Well, listen. Folks, my movie for the theme of Looks Like a Pump, Feels Like a Sneaker is a movie from 1988. It was written by Kevin Wade. It was directed by Mike Nichols, and it's called Working Girl. I have a head for business and a body for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. Let the, the river, river run. run. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> talk about that. So I'm, I'm obviously chomping at the bit to really get into this movie, but I just want to say, yeah. first and foremost, this film was directed by Mike Nichols, who is one of the greats. He did many wonderful classic films, including Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate. He spent his early years in comedy when he was a part of this comedy duo with the equally great Elaine May, Mm -hmm. um, whom we've talked about before on this podcast. And, you know, he's kind of this like Broadway legend. He directed like many, many wonderful plays. And when it comes down to it, there's a lot of great info out there about him. Um, that is so much better than anything that I could ever say right now. I mean, there's multiple documentaries about him, which are great. I think I mentioned the writer Mark Harris when we did Memphis Bell. Um, yeah. He was the guy that wrote the book about Five Came Back, but he just wrote a book about Mike Nichols called Mike Nichols, A Life. So I got it. 
I haven't started it yet. Yeah, oh, I haven't started I, it yet, but I got it. Yeah, I got to get it too. I'm I I'm so ready to start it. I I really want to know a lot more because apparently he's had a fascinating life. You should get it. We can do a little book club, a two person book Ooh, club. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe we'll all do a book club if you guys want. <gasps> yeah, you know. To use like corporate parlance, let's <laughs> offline this. Um, but anyway, I just encourage you to look him up if you don't know anything about Mike Nichols. He's great. Um, so let's talk about Working Girl, shall we? Oh, yeah. This movie stars Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, and Sigourney Weaver. Okay. All three great stars. And, you know, Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver were especially huge at this moment in time. I mean, they had come off of stuff like Star Wars and Alien. And so it's kind of like they were just big, huge box office draws. And let me give you a basic synopsis of this film. It may not be one sentence. Actually, it might be one sentence. Let me let me try it. You do your thing, whatever it takes. So this film is about a young female secretary from Staten Island with big dreams who makes a bold attempt to move up the corporate ladder by posing as an executive after her boss breaks her leg in a ski accident. Perfection. Okay. There you go. Also, I want to put this movie into a little historical context because we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the episode, which is that this movie is in 1988. You know, in general, I think we all know this by now, the 80s were kind of notoriously about money and greed and yuppies and big business and hey big business that's another movie from that's 1988 one. <laughs> country sadie city sadie <laughs> <laughs> that is a whole other episode folks um but like we said we have many women entering the workforce at this moment in time and the white collar workforce at that which i think we need to make that distinction it's it was basically kind of the first real push to break up that sort of male boys clubby thing that was prevalent in a lot of corporations across many industries. Right. And this movie is very much about all of that. So right off the bat in the opening credits of this film, you hear this song that's called let the river run. Okay. I'm going to stop you right here. <laughs> Cause I have two notes, two starred notes about this film. And it's basically all I want to talk about. I think the song Let the River Run by Carly Simon is incredibly emotional and it still makes me kind of tear up every time I hear it in this film. And they use it throughout this movie. They use a humming version. They use an acapella version. Like they love this song. Uh -huh. And I love this song. Yeah. I think I want to say that at some point I sang it in chorus when I was in school. <laughs> Is that of course possible? you did. Because yeah. you were probably in a seniors, like gold, like silver sneakers, 55 ah. plus choir when you were nine. Of course you sang this song. I was in a barbershop quartet <laughs> at the assisted living facility that I lived in. No, I, I, I think I really actually sang this, of course. I, I don't know that for a fact, but it feels possible. But that's kind of the way this song is. So it was written and performed by Carly Simon, as Danielle just said. And it's this. Yeah, you're right. It's this epic huge song with a choir and the lyrics are let the river run let all the dreamers wake the nation i mean i'm getting chills right now i'm, I'm not even you. kidding and and i should note that carly simon actually wrote this for the movie after reading the script 
right? Right. So this this song is effectively about Tess, who is the character played by Melanie Griffith. And right off the bat, we're already hearing about dreamers, right? Maybe they're chasing the American dream, right? Maybe. And alongside this opening music, you have Tess, Melanie Griffith, riding on the Staten Island Ferry alongside all these other commuters. And there's these big, huge shots of New York City, these giant establishing shots with like the Statue of Liberty. And she's on the ferry with her best friend, Cynthia, who is played by the amazing Joan Cusack. Okay, that is my second star note. (laughs) Because the only thing that I will be remiss if we don't talk about is the sheer magnitude of Cynthia's hair in this movie. It is its own character. And I am obsessed with this whole look. Listen, I would have murdered someone for that volume, for that hair volume at that age. Like when I was when I was watching this film as I think I was like 10 or whenever this came out, if I would have been able to achieve that amount of volume, I would have been the most popular girl in school and my life would have been completely different. Let's just say that. It would have been in the parlance of our current times over for you hoes. (laughs) If I could have achieved, I didn't know yet that my hair couldn't do that at all. So the little wave and bang that I was able to achieve was monumental. But if I could get the volume that Joan Cusack had in this movie, I would be queen of England right now. Oh my God. I would have skipped right over the Meghan Markle of it all and the Princess Diana. I would have skipped right into fucking Buckingham Palace and been like, check this out. I'm your queen now. Oh my God. <laughs> and just every, everything about these two at the beginning of Sin and uh, Tess is big. Love them. Big shoulder pads, big hair, big jewelry, big um, eyeshadow looks, you know? And they're on the ferry. And, you know, it's Tess's birthday. So Sin holds up this like hostess cupcake and sings happy birthday to her best friend and is asking her to make a wish. And then when she does, you just get this sense that that Tess is searching. She's looking for something. She wants something more, you know, she wants this bigger life than the one that she has, sadly, because, you know, sin is her her tie to her old life. And now she's like crossing, you know, crossing the water into New York City. And she's thinking. What's out there for me, right? And what I love about it, too, is it's just so common for people to feel like, oh, well, New York City and the boroughs are all one thing. But what this really exemplifies is the fact that, like, if you live in Staten Island, you're still reaching for the life in in Manhattan and you're still trying to get on that particular way of life. Like, it's just I guess the better way to put it is that it's just like this scene really, for me, exemplifies how you can be so close to something and still not be able to attain it. So to see Tess already searching for it, and she's like, you know, what I love about this scene too, is she's like, oh, I can't, I've got my classes tonight. And, you know, like she's taking like elocution lessons to lose her accent. And Cynthia's like, why would you want to lose your accent? (laughs) (laughs) Such a compact and beautiful scene to really show what their lives are like. Exactly. And I want to point this out too, because I think this is actually really interesting. So from... What I know about Mike Nichols, the director, is that he was actually an immigrant to America. His family basically escaped the Nazis and his family came to New York from Germany to start a new life. And 
I can't help but think that this is also important to how this movie is structured, which is that this is the concept of someone wanting a new life. But yeah, it does have a feeling of like, you know, of course, with the Statue of Liberty of immigration and sort of the idea that people can remake themselves in America or in the big city like New York. Right. Um, So at the start of this movie, Tess is working for these two horrible fucking Wall Street guys. They treat her like absolute shit, as you can imagine. And they do this in spite of the fact that it's clear she's smart and she's showing initiative and she's taking night classes and she's showing an interest in the company and in their industry. Okay. But of course, because they're these like gross Wall Street dudes, they just are seeing her as their secretary, which of course at this time was this very gendered and class-based profession. And especially in 80s movies, you know, it's like there was always this like stereotype of the secretary who was this like basically uneducated woman who was pretty and kind of a bimbo and basically subservient to men. And that's pretty much it. Right. And at one point, Tess's bosses tell her that they kind of dangle this carrot in front of her face saying, oh, my God, there's this like executive at the company and they're looking to hire somebody. And, we, you know, we want to organize a quote unquote meeting for you with this guy. And it ends up that the guy is Kevin Spacey and he wants to have a Coke and porno party in the back of his limo on their way to a hotel instead of like the meeting that he said they were going to. Exactly. And as you can imagine, Tess is completely insulted and she quits like pretty much the next day. And she goes to her temp agency and the and the temp uh, agency worker is Olympia Dukakis, which I love. Uh, R.I.P. She's the best. Um, But she gets placed in another company. And this time she's the secretary of this female executive who is named Catherine and she's played by Sigourney Weaver. Okay, I think a lot has been said about this Sigourney Weaver character over the years, like just what things that I've read, uh, reviews of Working Girl, like from back in the day, but also, you know, fairly recent sort of like attempts to kind of watch the movie over again and recontextualize it a little bit. And when Tess first shows up, Catherine introduces herself as someone who just seems very confident, very powerful and put together, but also somebody who might actually kind of understand somebody like Tess, like somebody who could be like a mentor to her. Right. And Catherine is also saying things like, oh, they're they have a working relationship, but it's a two way street. And I always want to hear your ideas and, you know, all that stuff. She seems like kind of initially supportive of Tess, but she's also really quick to put Tess in her place. And just sort of reminding her, like, hey, you're my secretary, right? And Catherine is just always sort of flaunting her status in Tess's face, which I think is very important to note. And, you know, I've read a few criticisms about this film and about how that kind of girl on girl crime of the film is kind of like not so great. Um, which yes, Catherine is a shitty woman and she's a villain of this movie, right? She is, as, as the story progresses, you realize it's, she's not great. Right. But I think what it comes down to it, this, the tension for me, when I see these two characters interacting is coming from this notion that Tess wants Catherine's status 
right? Right. She wants her social standing and her clothes and the way she carries herself. And like you said, there's many points in the movie where Tess is trying to change herself to be more sort of like, I don't know, like it's kind of like when we talked about in the six degrees of separation week where it's this idea of like mingling with rich people who are educated and she's got to change her kind of Staten Island ways. And there's at one point in the movie where Tess is listening to tapes of Catherine trying to match her diction. Like she's basically like, oh, here's how like a proper woman talks. The thing that gets me too about like, you know, I I get what people say in that criticism of girl on girl crime and what have you. But what really what I really took from this movie, especially during this viewing more than anything, is that Catherine also had to behave in a particular way to be who she was and get where she was. So it wasn't that women didn't want to support each other. It's that there were rules already in place that they either didn't have enough power to do anything for other women, or if they did, it would diminish their own status. Right. Because that's that's the game when you're trying to, you know, behave like white men, essentially. Right. <laughs> it's like they will always put you in your place. Right. Yeah. Catherine is like giving her these reminders that she's trashy. Right. You know, she's saying, oh, like, God, yeah. take your jewelry off, you know, dress for success. Um, you can't book me a good hotel room. I can do it because I know how to speak German or whatever. And it's just sort of like that thing where. It just kind of reinforces Tess's anxieties about herself, which is that she's low class and she doesn't want to be. And that's the ache of this movie for me, you know, is seeing that. Absolutely. So at a certain point, Catherine is out on a ski vacation and she breaks her leg. This is this is where Mike Nichols comedy chops come into play, because <laughs> when she goes over that hill <laughs> and you just hear her screaming for like 10 solid seconds. I laugh every time. <laughs> Anytime somebody flies off the side of a mountain <laughs> on a on a bougie vacation, I laugh. It's just like that. Ah, it's 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 simple comedy, folks, but it's it's effective, right? Um, oh, but she's stuck in the hospital for the next few weeks and basically calls Tess and it's like, all right, you need to run my life when I'm gone, and just starts giving her a laundry list of things that she needs to do. But, you know, Tess is ambitious and and Catherine herself has kind of been falsely telling her, go for what you want, go for your dreams and blah, 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 blah. So Tess is like, fuck it. I'll go one further and I'll use your office and your clothes and your home as my own. And I'm going to get into the mix because I have good ideas and I don't know if you're like responding to them or not. And I want to make my own way. And she's she's given her one of her ideas. And Catherine was like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should work on it together. And then in listening to those tapes while she's running all these million errands, she realizes Catherine's planning to steal this idea as her own. Exactly. That's, there's kind of two things that happen at the same time. So there's that. There's the idea that Catherine is essentially stealing her idea and she finds proof of it. And then the other thing that happens is that so Tess's boyfriend is played by Alec Baldwin, young Alec Baldwin, um, who, of course, you know, He's got his shirt open to expose his hairy chest. He's got a few, you know, gold chains. He's a he's a he's a little of that Staten Islandy thing that she is more or less on the fence about. Am I right? Yeah. And she shows up to their apartment, and he is in bed with one of her friends. Yep. So she catches him in the act, and as we know. She's already like trying to get away from that Staten Island life. And now she's like, oh, wait, well, this is like beyond the shadow of a doubt what I need to do. 
because this fucking guy is cheating on me and fuck this. I'm going on with this new life that I want in New York City. Right. So so basically she has this business idea. She wants to advance it. And she ends up meeting Jack, who is played by Harrison Ford. And they work together on this big company proposal. And eventually, of course, they fall for each other. Meanwhile, Jack has literally no idea that Tess is just a secretary. And as you can imagine, all hell eventually breaks loose. But again, what's what's interesting for me in, in this in this workup to the end of this film is that, you know, Tess starts going through this big transformation, right? She's like cutting her hair. She breaks up with the Alec Baldwin character. Um, she starts carrying herself differently. She's wearing like all these business suits with the shoulder pads and she's got a briefcase and you know it's just this thing where you're like okay now she's trying to achieve this dream like she's doing it she's changing herself to be this this high-powered new york executive that she's always wanted to be and what i what i dig about it too is that there's in our current cultural design the message seems to be you know never change yourself be who you are do your thing. And I don't know if that's always realistic, depending on what your goals are You're right. or even just depending on what you want your emotional life to be, because that, that to me is the journey is another journey that Tess goes on in this film. And she goes on this very emotional journey. Right. And like, we're, we're meeting her at a moment where her emotional development is starting to coincide with her, her work life. And I think it's cool to see her not really, she's not apologetic for either side of it. She's not apologetic about wanting to improve herself, but she's also not apologetic about where she comes from and who she is. Right. And I think it's a very interesting mix that you don't see in a lot of movies because it's usually one or the other. So I think that this notion that, you know, be yourself in the way that we tend to portray it in our culture is never change. And I don't think that's realistic. I think it's, you know, be true to yourself in every moment of who you are and in every different era of your life that you are changing with and how, you know, changing into. Yeah. And I think it was especially important for women, you know, at this moment, at this particular moment in time to do, to do the, these things, like to basically in, improve their lot, do it by themselves, take no shit. You know, I mean, we came from a different time. Like you and I grew up in a completely different era where our success was much different than somebody like our mothers or right. any any woman that kind of came before us. You know what I mean? And it's something that has I've seen play out in my own family. And I will say that, like, yeah, maybe in a modern context. Well, first of all, I will say that this is interesting in the sense that this story. So there is a scene where Harrison Ford and Tess. They finally have spent the night together and they order takeout the next day. And the takeout guy comes out to the door. Harrison Ford pays the takeout guy and then he leaves. And Harrison Ford is whistling the song from The Wizard of Oz, which is If I Only Had a Brain. And I think that this is incredibly fitting for what the theme of this movie is, which is that Working Girl is wizard of oz it's it's a cinderella fantasy and what's interesting is the writer of working girl his name is kevin wade he actually wrote made in manhattan which is basically oh. the same story right the jennifer lopez one the jennifer lopez movie oh. exactly and so 
you know, I'm sitting here thinking like there there's it's not an accident that we're that all of these things are happening in this film where you're seeing like the Statue of Liberty, the Wizard of Oz song, you know, the Let the River Run song. It's all kind of contributing to this idea that this is sort of a fantasy film about a woman who just wants to be the best that she can be. And you're right. There is sort of no like just be yourself. I don't think that that was the point. I think that she was like, yeah. I literally just want to be a different person. And she and she was that different person by the end. And there there goes the theme song again. Right. Oh. So it's but it's interesting because I get I you're right. I think in a more modern context, it would have probably played out a little differently. But I think in this particular era, it ended the way that it ended for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the ending is very emotional. Yeah. And very funny. Yeah. And incredibly sweet. And I love it. Yeah. I don't, I I don't, yeah. It's almost like, it's funny because I know that we don't like to give away things, even though people ask us to. Uh, And I don't really think I gave a lot away by what I just said. But, um, but yeah, it does end in a very um, uplifting, kind of perfect wrap up sort of way but then also the ending shot is very interesting too which you're just gonna have to watch and trust us on this um but it kind of like is the other bookend to the story of you know the the staten island ferry you know but yeah as as a as a young girl this was everything to me i loved the clothes loved the loved the everything about it loved this the secretary looks um and also the Sigourney Weaver looks, man, she's got so much her apartment with like her like negligee <laughs> stuff. There's a lot of like clip on stockings in this film, which I was like, damn, um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever worn that. I don't think I've ever worn those. And I always thought that the, that you were in the red shoe diaries if you wore clip on stockings. Or you're a businesswoman, basically, so that's the only time we saw them in the 80s yeah i love that all of her like uh the warhol-esque photos of herself yes <laughs> it's just such an 80s apartment i love it so much oh my god yeah i i i spied a couple of wicker items like it was just that that was the the um the measure of success back then is having like a a bar in your apartment with a little refrigerator so I love this movie as a kid and I love it even more now. Like I I had not seen it in a few years, but I watched it all the time and it was on TV when I was a kid. And I fully thought, I, I, I guess I thought that there was a way to get ahead or a way to get into business and to not compromise and to kind of, I, it, it impacted it. Like yeah. it, it definitely was, it had a big impact on me um, yeah. to see this movie. And also I think too, you know, generally are kind of, cultural view of capitalism has changed so much since the 80s so that maybe that wouldn't be the ending you know what i mean if it was made in 2021 um it wouldn't be the ending but you know for the time that this was made this was the perfect ending and yeah and in fact when i when i saw it because i saw it not too long ago actually maybe like six months ago I it was more serious to me than it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was just like, oh, shoulder pads and eyeshadow and, you know, uh, putting on sneakers over pantyhose and, you know, that kind of stuff. I forgot the whole Alec Baldwin subplot. Yeah. Like, I didn't I didn't lock on to any of that shit when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just all about the business world. Yeah. 
but it is worth it's worth a rewatch. It's worth a it's definitely worth a first watch. If you've never seen this movie, you're in for so many treats. Yeah, you got to. It's a it's a perfect time capsule of, you know, the 80s and the business world, New York City, women, you know, in the workforce. It's great. It's great. Good pick. Thank you. Woo. Now your movie, huh? Oh, boy. Oh, my God. This is so fun. I can't wait to talk about this movie. All right. So my pick for the theme of looks like a pump feels like a sneaker was released in 1991, directed by Stephen Herrick and written by Neil Landau and Tara Eisen. And the movie is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Bow the lawn today and don't forget to do the dishes, okay? Ah! Dishes are done, man. This is a movie that when I read about it now, it's always referred to as a cult classic, which makes me laugh so hard because this was just like a movie that was kind of designed for kids or, you know, it was, it was aimed at kids. I don't think it did terribly well at the box office. I did not look that up, so don't correct me. (laughs) This is just from my memory because it was released in 1991 when I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old. And I remember it being like, that's just a dumb movie for kids when it was released. But I think it became a cult classic because for those of us who grew up in this easy spirit time, We got to see a version of Working Girl for the teenage set. Yes. Essentially. There are definitely some classic one-liners in here. Oh, man. Um, Just to give a brief synopsis, we have an L.A. area teen who thinks she's on the road to freedom when her mom decides to go to Australia for two months during the summer after she graduates. But then when her mom hires an elderly babysitter who dies, the teenager has a rude awakening about life. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my synopsis. And that is essentially the movie. It's like, yes. So this is a movie that stars Christina Applegate as Sue Ellen. She goes by Swell, which I love. Um, Joanna Cassidy. um, Keith Coogan. Josh Charles. There's so many people in this film, but. Sue Ellen is the main character. And she's again, she's this teenager who is already upset at the beginning of the film because unlike her friends, she cannot go to Europe for two months to celebrate their, their graduation. This, this is a movie where everyone who goes away goes away to another country for two months. Like that, there's no like traveling across town or like a staycation. It's like, I got to go to Australia for two months or I have to go to Europe for two months. <laughs> that, that to me is i mean obviously in a modern context i'm like the mom left five kids five not even alone she left five kids with somebody else for two months two months and i know that you've talked about how babysitting is like an insane profession yeah Uh, and so already i'm like holy shit like her mom has left them for two entire months yeah, I think I think babysitting is a psychotic endeavor in general. And I think this version of babysitting is th- so much can happen in two months. Two months is an eternity. Any babysitter you hire, it's an eternity. And if you hire someone who's just devious enough, those kids could have different identities and be shipped off to different countries within a week of you leaving. And you wouldn't know for a month and a half. <laughs> I got I, OK, I'm not going to lie. I thought this when I saw this movie in the year that it was made okay i was a little scared of this family 
I, there was yeah. a lot going on with the mom and the house. And I was a little freaked out by these kids. Um, these kids ran this house, P.S. Wow. So in the beginning of the film, we're, before the mom leaves, like as the mom's making preparations to leave, and we get to kind of just see what their morning routine is like and what they're like as a family, it is chaos. It is chaos. So you've got Sue Ellen, who's, you know, again, just graduated, kind of the older, the oldest kid. Keith Coogan, who plays her brother, Kenny, is the next in line. And he is just a straight up stoner dirtbag in Ugh. the most wonderful depiction. Like, I've never seen it depicted so perfectly. Obsessed with Kenny and his friends. They are our they are, are heavy metal heroes. I mean, I, I just am like, I, we talked about this character Back in the, you know, many episodes ago when we talked about like our 80s heavy metal, like these yeah. guys are it. It's perfect. To a fucking T. And then you've got, you know, some progressively younger kids. So you've got Zach played by Christopher Pettiette, who I just actually when I was looking up facts about this movie, I didn't realize that he died. Yeah. He died of really a drug young. overdose when he was yeah. really young. Um, and then you have Melissa, who's kind of like what at the time would have been referred to as a tomboy type. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's tough and she likes flipping people off and lighting things on fire and she's fucking rad and then you've got walter who's this little kid who's obsessed with television <laughs> and when i tell you this family is chaos it's like while the mom's getting everything ready in the morning they're stealing money out of her purse they're sleeping all over the there's just stuff just piles of stuff all over the place yeah. i could not get comfortable in a house like that and that Ooh. would never have flown in my house to have a house that chaotic yeah and I, it was set up that she was a single mom, so you have some sympathy for sure. Um, and they also kind of set up that the dad was still alive, but he just wasn't involved. Like, it was just a very quick kind of one offline. So, so when the mom goes away and she tells Melissa, because she's like, why, why are you going away for two months with your boyfriend to Australia? And the mom says, it's because I'm 37 and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, 37? Wow. <laughs> That didn't hit me with the first 800 times I saw this movie either. Oh, yeah. Again, that's our age. If you watch older movies as a fucking full ass adult, yeah. you're like 37 with five kids is outrageous. That was the 80s all over. <laughs> and that was a single mom with five kids at 37. Jesus. That line was two minutes in the movie and it threw me for a fucking loop. I had to pause yeah. it and think about that for like another 10. Oh, God, um, me too. But she does. She leaves. And it, it's hilarious, too, because like you see this relationship that this mom has with Sue Ellen, with Swell. So as the mom's leaving, like it's not even planned. It's not even discussed. It's literally as she's going out the door. This older woman shows up, this elderly woman. And when Sue Ellen answers the door, she's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm the babysitter. So she didn't realize because Sue Ellen, again, had this whole plan for the summer. Like her friends were going to be gone, but she was going to go to the beach and chill out. and like. The kids were going to be taken care of and it was going to be fine. So the babysitter shows up, very sweet older woman. And Sue Ellen is so pissed at her mom and she's outside sulking, sulking in a chair. And the mom's like, look, just have a good summer. Take care of things and don't do anything that I would be against. She's saying this as Christina Applegate is smoking a cigarette. Oh, my God. And I'm like, this is the family we're in right now. <laughs> I know. And I just have to say, I mean, this is the high Christina Applegate era. Right. She was Kelly Bundy. She was like America's heavy metal sweetheart. Yep. And I'm just like, 
she when she shows up in that long dress with those Doc Martens smoking a cigarette in front of her mom, I was like, oh, wow. OK, I think I know this girl. I knew this girl, you know, completely. That was a very important moment, I think, for her also in her career, because Kelly Bundy was like this sexed up idiot. And she was playing a very different character in this movie. Oh, yeah. Christina Applegate, you got to put me on. I mean, and she was she's the star of the film. And she <laughs> she she did take a detour. I mean, she was still kind of like heavy metal adjacent, but right. she was definitely not Kelly Bundy. She was not like, you know, sex on a stick walking through the living room and guys in the audience going, woo, you know, right. like different. Right. Yeah. And I, I like I like that for her. Like, I like that she made that that choice. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a good, a smart move. Yeah. So she's, she's 17. And again, her summer has been kind of ruined because now as soon as the mom leaves, Mrs. Sturak, the babysitter turns into a fucking drill sergeant, like with a whistle and the whole nine. Cause she took one look at that place and she was like, fucking no. She had a list a mile long. She had like one of those big whiteboards with like everyone's names and their chores next to it. She went in like one, day one. She was like, this is not how this family is going to be run uh. while I'm here. So Mrs. Sturrett gets, you know, this big envelope of money for, from the mom. And she's just taking care of these kids for two months. And she's like, look, I don't have any family of my own. I love taking care of kids. Um, and then the kids are starting to revolt against some of her rules. And when so when Swell goes in to kind of lay down the law, she finds Mrs. Sturak dead. She has died of natural causes in her chair. And what I absolutely love about this scene is because she then goes to get Kenny and all the kids to talk about it. This scene to me is exactly how kids would have reacted to something like this. So they were like, let's not call mom. Uh, and, you know, we don't want to call the cops because if we call the cops, then mom's going to come home and we don't want mom to come home. And then they're like, um, you know, we they basically just kind of talk themselves into not actually doing the right thing <laughs> and reporting this death. So instead, what they do is they drop her off. at <laughs> They drop her off at a funeral home in a crate <laughs> with a note that says. <laughs> Nice old lady inside died of natural causes. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. They used her car. She, has, she pulls up in this great old Buick that she, you know she bought brand new and has kept running for 45 years. And they're driving around her car and dropping her off and just like ding dong ditch with an actual dead body. Yeah. Hilarious. Well, and the th the funny thing is that when I was a kid, I was convinced that she died of natural causes because she went into Kenny's room. She simply opened yes. the door and saw that he had like Guns N' Roses posters and like pictures of Samantha Fox <laughs> with no shirt on and like stars over her nips. And she later died of a coronary event because she went to a heavy metal guy's bedroom completely what i thought as well is like okay she took one look at all the shit and like the pizza boxes and the piles of clothes yeah, yeah. could not she she was like let me just close the door i can't even handle this she started breathing heavy at she, had that a, moment. she had a prmc heart attack she had <laughs> the most 80s of all heart attacks yes. <laughs> so the kids are now like all right cool the babysitter's not here we can go back to our summer of freedom except there's one problem the money that, that their mom left with mrs sturak is gone it's not in the envelope that they mm. find so they're like oh shit she must have had it on her 
they rip her room apart. And again, very indicative of the kind of kids that these these were. They rip her room to shreds looking for this money. And then as they are all leaving the room and someone says, who's going to clean this up? And another kid says, not me. And that is this whole family. Like, I'm not doing it. I ain't doing it. So in order to figure out how they're going to survive for two months with no cash and not wanting to call their mom, they decide to flip a frozen Mama Celeste pizza to see who has to go get a job. <laughs> and I have made decisions with much less involvement. <laughs> I, I've made decisions for less. Exactly. This is the thing I love about this movie, too, is that it's such a time capsule of that era with like the products. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, they t- like, first of all, um, the little brother is like always watching TV and he's watching Win, Lose or Draw, which yep. I was obsessed with when obsessed I was a kid, too. Obsessed with it. And there's the Mama Celeste pizza. At one point, like Swell makes this joke about Dianetics. And it's yes. just sort of like it is a lot of that like in-joke type of stuff that existed in the era, which was really revolving around TV about like commercials and that kind of stuff. It's great. It's great. It's for so that. good. And it is exactly yeah. that. It's like when you're getting to see all these different types of kids, but especially kids who were kind of raised on TV and steeped in pop culture. Exactly. Yep. So when they flip, Swell is the one who has to go get the job. She does get a job at a place called Clown Dog, which is just just this hot dog restaurant, like hot dog and burger restaurant. And she's like cleaning out the, the fat vats and she's not having a good time of it. But it's important that she works there because... She gets to meet Brian, who's played by a very young Josh Charles. Uh, and they just hit it off. He is always like the hunky, preppy boyfriend. Like always, always, always. Yeah. Oh, like even in his later career when he was on Sports Night and stuff, I was like, oh, he's like the funny jock type that would date a girl like Christina Applegate. Like she's like right. she's punk and he's preppy, but he would date a punk girl. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And he kind of knows a few things that would be like, like interesting to her. Yes. Yes. It's a good mix. It's a, it's a very good match. And yeah. he's like, why don't you just quit? And I'm like, spoken like a true white guy. Uh, <laughs> like, like, exactly. You don't like this job. Why don't you just quit? And she does. And that's the most punk rock thing of all. She's like, you know what? Peace. Because her boss is like unbelievably off the chain happy and insisting that she be happy about everything she does. And she's like, I cannot do this. So she quits. <laughs> She fakes her resume. She basically copies it right out of her resume book, types it up on a typewriter and goes to apply to be a receptionist at this fashion company, G.A.W. General Apparel West, because she really is into fashion. And then when she actually goes to apply for the job and has a run in with the woman who's going to be her future boss. And the woman who's going to be her future boss, Rose Lindsay, takes one look at her resume and is like, you are way too overqualified to be a receptionist. You should be my executive assistant. Carol, the woman who was going to be my executive assistant, you're going to leapfrog over her. So now Carol is instantly on the outs with with Swell because she's just like, who is this woman who just walked in off the street and took my job? And the reason she was able to take that job is because she lied and said she was 27 and handed in a fake ass resume. So now all <laughs> hell is breaking loose because she has a job that she is so unfit for, has no idea what she's doing. 
unbelievable. Yeah, I I actually paused the movie when at, when they showed her resume, and she had listed that she worked at like Come de Garcon yeah, in Tokyo. In Tokyo. <laughs> And like I and the whole the whole resume is totally outrageous. And she went to like Ivy League schools or whatever. And I was like, this girl oh God, is bold. <laughs> it was so bold. I fucking loved it. And she she so she takes this job. And the, uh, speaking of the eighties of it all, and speaking of you know kind of the the cultural time capsule that this movie is in, when Sue Ellen who you know hires her and starts her right away, when she's going through the list of like what her job duties are. She's like, oh, yeah, just pick up the Rolodex. Here's your computer. You can use WordStar or Lotus. And I was like, what the fuck are these programs <laughs> even? Like, what is she talking about? Oh, my She's God. She's like, you know, logo the turtle is right there. Like, just knock yourself out. So Sue Ellen is drowning instantly under the weight of this job that she is 100% not qualified for and didn't expect to get, but she's going to fake it because the pay is good and she gets benefits the whole night. It's going to get them through the summer. And all that Rose asks of her, because again, Rose is the, the VP of operations at GAW. All that she asks of her is that she says, I'm right on top of that, Rose, whenever Rose asks her something. <laughs> and while she's on the phone or in a meeting, it's all she wants. And she's like, cool, I can do that. There's also this big, huge report called a QED report that she's responsible for. And there's just like all these lingo-y, like I'm interfacing with New York at three o'clock kind of, kind of businessy sayings. Um, but Sue Ellen's like, you know what? It's cool. We can do this. It's going to be all right. So she takes the kids out for dinner, explains the situation. And then I don't know why this is a plot point, but drag queens steal Mrs. Sturak's car that they've been driving around in. Yes. They see these people under the hood stealing the car. And as the car's driving away, um, it's like Liza Minnelli and Marilyn Monroe in the front seat. And they're like, Liza, <laughs> like, it is just the most random great scene in that movie. <laughs> oh my God. Only in LA. Am I right? So swell is kind of, you know, she's kind of upset to learn that this, this is a fashion company that makes industrial uniforms, but she's thrilled when Rose reveals to her that there's a petty cash box that she can use for her for her business meetings and things they need in the office and corporate shit. And this is this is a petty cash box that looks like nothing I've ever seen. It's the size of a fucking makeup trunk. Yeah. And it is stacked with 50s. Like I have never seen anything like that. <laughs> that is not petty cash. That is yeah. an entire bank account. <laughs> Yeah. I Have you ever had a job where you had to manage a petty cash box? Yeah. It's like an envelope with, with $5 in it. Oh, yeah. We weren't allowed to have more than $500 in that box. At some point in the movie, like one of the kids mentions that there's like over $3,000 in there. So yes. I'm like, damn, that is not a petty cash box. That has a lot of money in it. That should be a bank. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's what happens is when she's she starts using petty cash to get her through while she's waiting for her first paycheck. And she's like, it's cool. My first paycheck's going to be like over $1,000. Doesn't realize that taxes are going to come out of it because she's never had a job before. And so she's been essentially stealing money from this company. And then the kids have been stealing from her. Uh -huh. So she starts doing the math and she's like, we have taken over $3,000 out of petty cash. Like, I'm now a criminal. So in order to kind of make up for it, she pulls this beautiful stunt when Rose kind of needs to put on this big fashion show to kind of impress her bosses um and again all hell breaks loose but there's these beautiful <laughs> moments in this movie that 
are hilarious to me. First of all, David Duchovny is in this film, plays a guy named Bruce, and he and Carol are like office besties when it comes to cause and shit. They cannot believe that Sue Ellen got hired. So their whole purpose is to take her down and find out some dirt. And they are thwarted at every move. But he's got this like slick backed hair kind of trickster sort of look that is so wild to see now on the other side of Fox Mulder. (laughs) Oh, my God. So first of all, I have to state for the record that Alexis, our producer, and maybe a few others, thought that our theme this week was about David Duchovny because David Duchovny is actually in my movie as well. Very briefly. Um, he's like in a, he's a background character in the wedding scene or something. And so people were like, Oh, it's a David Duchovny theme. I'm like, no, very close, but no cigar. And then I was like, Oh, yeah, uh, totally unintentional, totally unintentional. Um, but yeah, these two are, such little shit birds. They're like the office nosy neighbors. Like they're just sort of like trying to figure her out, trying to like, you know, basically bust her for being a yeah. fraud. And, you know, I, I, I hate those types of characters in the movies that like shitty, um, you know, jealous employees that are trying to take down the person we want to win, you know? And it's like, just keep your eyes on your own plate. Because what's a, one thing, one of the lines that's really funny to me is when Sue Ellen gets hired and Rose comes out and she's like, where's Carol? And she's like, oh, the lady who looks like she's like, she talks like she's chewing her own face. I'm like, that is a great fucking description. That is a great line. Oh, my God. Exactly. And it's true. They're just so sniveling and behind the scenes. And I kind of I kind of love it. But it's very they're very funny characters that are kind of like you know, right out of central casting, but they're very, very funny. hundred percent. Um, yep. And then there's also, speaking of central casting, there's also Rose's smarmy boyfriend who also works at the company, Gus. Ugh. And Gus is an 80s nightmare come true. He is just so fucking gross. He totally is trying to mac on Sue Ellen in front of his girlfriend. Oh, like sending her flowers, taking her to lunch, just being so gross and inappropriate. Um, and he's also, he's just so sleazy and the guy he he's played by John Getz, who's played a number of characters over the years, but in the eighties, he kind of played that guy. Like that was kind of the guy for a while. Um, so he plays it well, but it's just so inappropriate. Um, and Rose is also a little inappropriate with, with Sue Ellen, with swell. Um, when she's talking about Gus, cause there's at one point where he sends roses to Sue Ellen and then Rose comes in and is like, ooh, I got flowers. So she kind of plays it off because she doesn't want to, you know, hurt Rose's feelings. And <laughs> Rose's response is like, I guess that weekend in Santa Barbara must have worked. Like, have you ever had a 48-hour orgasm? And I'm like, this is inappropriate, even if you weren't talking to a 17-year-old. Like, no boss should be saying things like this. I mean, listen, <laughs> I love Rose Lindsay. To, I love her so much. I love the character. I love the attitude. Yes. However, she does slip in a couple of like weird things. Like she says that. <laughs> and then she mentions, she makes that joke or whatever about how every girl over 25 needs a cucumber in the house. Yes. And I'm like, damn, that's not work <laughs> appropriate. Okay. But this is also a part of what I thought it meant to be an 80s businesswoman, which is that you were like horny 24 <laughs> seven. Yes. Horny and self-care. Like she's like, because basically they're talking about go. She tells her to go home and take a bath and put some cucumbers over her eyelids. Yeah. Like have some, the Calgon moment. 
Yes, have a cowbell moment. But also have a cucumber in case you're feeling some type of way. Like, I was like, wow, that's so weird. It's bizarre. And in the midst of all this, we have this one adorable. This is definitely part of the cult classic of the cult classic scenes um, of this movie, because Brian and Swell start, you know, they go on a date and they're at the beach and they're, you know, like throwing seaweed at each other. Again, I lived in L.A. for years, didn't go to the beach. I don't know what you do there, but. That was their idea of a date was I'm going to throw seaweed at you and walk down the (laughs) (laughs) walk, walk down the Santa Monica pier. Um, And then the reason that they're doing this, they're out at the beach is because Brian has invited Sue Ellen to see the Grunion run. And if that wasn't the height of young teenage dating dreams as a kid to be kissed under a pier while fish are flopping around at your feet. It is a classic fucking scene. I have, oh, didn't man. know what Grunion were then. I don't know where Grunion are now. I, I thought it was um, something to do with motorcycles. I had no idea what <laughs> he was talking the about. Grunion basically. run. I could not figure it out. And I was like, okay, like this is, this is romance in California. Great. But it is a classic scene for sure. Yeah. Um, I won't ruin the ending, but I will say that there is a moment where sue ellen has to think fast on her feet about how she's going to make up for all the money that she's taken and she uses this event to do it this event that rose needs to put on to impress her boss and she does it by throwing the event at her house and hiring all of her friends and kenny's friends and kenny is one of the best characters in this movie to me this is a guy who when asked to do the dishes goes up on his roof with a gun and his friends and basically skeets shoots the dishes <laughs> and says the dishes are done man <laughs> that that was a that was a big moment of the trailer like that was anytime i saw the trailer for this movie that was the part that i saw that made me go i have to see this movie because it's written for people of my age complete Lee and he is just like he's pissing off of buildings he's stoned all the time and he starts because this is it's kind of a great natural progression because they show him sitting on the couch with Walter his younger brother watching TV because he's stoned and they're watching Julia Child and he gets really into like trying to cook because he starts making these like gourmet delicacies for his stoner friends which is wonderful. It's just it's just a nice evolution. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene where, you know, obviously as the movie goes on and and they have to put on this show cuz I that's what I love about teen movies and and sort of like, yes. you know, comedies of this era um that either end in a fashion show or end in a big event and then it's like we all got to put on a show. Let's all get together and clean up the house or like, you know, do all the things and we'll get all of our friends involved. All these like side characters in these kids lives come together and help them do this big event. Right. And at a certain point, Kenny, you know, has to clean up his look in order to like be the head waiter yeah. for his sister's event. And there's a scene before that where he like does the whole, like he it's, it's really cute where he, she comes home from a long day at work and he's like, 
the put upon housewife character. Yes. And he's like, oh, you know, you should have just called because I had dinner <laughs> waiting. I just fed the kids and we don't even go out to dinner anymore. And then, you know, Christina Applegate's character is basically like, well, I sit in gridlock all day. It was cute. I, I love that It was really part. adorable. It yeah. was so adorable. And his cleanup moment is a real gleaming the cube cleanup moment. Yes. Where it's like this guy. <laughs> it's a real broken glass in the sink moment. I Listen, I, ha- I let it be known. I'm sure this is widely known. Maybe not. But like Keith Coogan was in not one, but two famous babysitting movies. Yes. Yeah. He was in Adventures in Babysitting and this film. And that is quite a feat. A beautiful thing. And hilariously kind of. Well, he doesn't play the same guy in both movies, but he does play like a kind of shitty younger brother in both movies. Yeah. <laughs> and just it's so amazing. Like, what are the odds of the same actor appearing in two like legendary movies about babysitting? Yeah. That's kind of amazing. Right. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. And I love it. And he has, you know, he has friends that can do guitar ice sculptures. <laughs> like every everyone's getting a little glow up at, at this event. And it's great. And it's just, it's such a great, it's a great teen movie. It's a great summer movie. It's a great, looks like a pump, feels like a sneaker movie. Because you're watching someone who is 17 years old, basically run a corporate event and run a corporation well. Oh man, it's so, it's so great when you watch Christina Applegate kind of teach herself how to be a woman when she's like looking in magazines on how to do her hair and she's going through her mom's closet and she's always like, you know, the fashion montage where she's like, no, not this dress, but this one. And it's, it was so mesmerizing watching it as a kid because I was like, oh, I would love to be her. I want an adult job in fashion when I'm her age. I. Loved it. And she look, she, she does, you know, she kind of she designs a little bit at the end. Um, the show is all her vision. And uh, she and Franklin, a great another character actor, but another great actor. Um, Sidney Lassick. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. And he, they put together this fashion show that I could only describe as like Harlequin chic. <laughs> and then there's this really funny mo- moment where she kind of has to move things along very quickly. And she's like, thank you. Thank you, Katrina. <laughs> and her friend starts like doing the. <laughs> her friend. <laughs> her friends who are all the models. <laughs> starts doing the running man like really fast down the runway. <laughs> it is hilarious. Oh my God. It's those moments that I fucking love. Like I just love little moments like that of just. Like very clear cut comedy from my youth, but it was it's a really funny movie. I think it's again, this is one of the only movies from my youth that I would probably show kids today. <laughs> yeah, and and actually, it's funny because I I actually think it is really funny. Like it hold, it yeah. sort of holds up in the comedy way. Like you know, as much as it's a teen movie, and you know, it was kind of mass marketed for teenagers at the time. It's actually funny and it has like like you said great one liners um just really legit funny moments and like the you know Keith Coogan and Christina Applegate and all these people like they they're great actors and they've got comic chaps so yeah. it's awesome that, that Santa Barbara line that is one of the funniest jokes which as a kid I did not pick up on but I was laughing for like 5 minutes when I heard it this time when Rose is like have you ever had a 48 hour orgasm and Swell just goes, no, I've never been to Santa Barbara. Like, it's such a great Because <laughs> she's 17. So yes. she's not going to talk about her non-existent sex life. So she's like, no, I've never been to Santa Barbara. 
Oh my God. It's so funny. So funny. I love it. I love it. I think it's, and it's a good movie as we start kicking off a nice summer where we can go outside. Perfect. Yes. I, I love that you picked it. I was glad to have watched it again and totally fits the theme. Looks like a pump feels like a sneaker. It's great. Well, that was a great episode. Super fun. I loved watching both of these movies. Yeah, it was so great. Um, So we actually don't have an episode next week, although there will be a bonus episode going up on July 8th. So look out for that. Get on that Stitcher Premium tip if you haven't already. So our next episode will be on the 13th. And Danielle, why don't you give the listeners the movies for that? Our movies for the next regular episode are Natural Born Killers from 1994 and California from 1993. Ooh, California with a K. What could it be? California with a K. (laughs) Guess the theme. Guess the theme. Well, as always, if you are looking for merch, we have some. It's for you. It's in the Exactly Right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. And also, look, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Use our promo code SAW for a free month. Because it really helps on those weeks where we don't have a new episode going up like next week. We won't have anything up on Tuesday, but you can listen to a new to you episode on Thursday. Check us out. Um, all right. Well, on that note, Danielle, as always, such a pleasure. Listen, being with you looks like a pump and feels like a sneaker. And for that, I thank you. I'm grateful for our friendship always. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. The dishes are done, dude!